I tend to wander around. I tend to flap my arms as well. I have to make sure the wire's out the way or the microphone will go flying. But thank you. Thank you for your welcome. Um, it's always encouraging to return, to go back somewhere that you have known and you've seen it change. And uh, this place has changed since I was last here and certainly changed considerably since I was first here when it was an empty shell and unused um, and had a lovely springy floor somewhere out the back. And I can remember John saying, what do you think about this? <laughs> no hope. Needs to go. Um, I hope what I've got to say this morning um, will be an encouragement. I'm encouraged myself that you clearly have a, a healthy church prayer life. And that contains much of what I want to encourage you with this morning. But uh, there's, there's no harm in being uh, challenged further and encouraged some more. Some of you uh, may have known uh, Bill Rook and uh, John Peters, who used to go around preaching together. And um, John told me that one day he was driving to the venue, and he said to Bill, what are you going to preach on, Bill? And Bill said, I'm going to preach the greatest sermon ever. John went very quiet, didn't say anything. And he said, um, I was just apprehensive. It was unlike Bill. And Bill stood up and he read the Sermon on the Mount and he sat down. <laughs> there was some element of uh, this reading today in which I thought I could read you bits of scripture and let you piece it together. Um, the more I thought about it, I thought I'd probably end up starting at Genesis and reading all the way through. Um, but we could, we could be looking back at uh, the Garden of Eden and the relationship with God. We could be looking at the giving of the law and Deuteronomy and the uh, suggestion that, or the command of God that they should write his word on their hearts, that he should, they should... Um, Write, write the word on their foreheads. They should have their phylacteries with the word written in it. They should nail it to the doorposts of their house. We could be looking at the institution of the temple and uh, the sacrifices and the prayers, the liturgy that they were given. We could be looking at, looking at so many of the psalms. Uh, the reading um, you know, contains a psalm in it. We could be looking through those to learn about prayer. We could be looking at perhaps Ezra and Nehemiah and the reinstitution of, of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, and uh, how they dealt with that return of people who were um, learning once again what it was to worship God. We can go into the Gospels, obviously, and see what Jesus was teaching. Uh, go back to the simplicity of the Lord's Prayer. Um, and we can go to, we could go to, say, Ephesians chapter 6, um, which, which I want to pick up on later. And so we have this story, which really starts back at chapter 3, with Peter and John, and they're going up to the temple. There were three set prayer times. There was the morning prayer, the afternoon prayer, and the evening prayer. 
I still find it quite difficult to comprehend how they fitted that into a working day. Um, but, but there were these three set prayers, um, and they had their own liturgy. And so if they were going up to the afternoon prayer, uh, they would have had a set psalm. I think it was 84 that they read together. But they had a liturgy. They had prayers that they prayed together. And uh, Peter and John uh, were Jews. We have an entirely Jewish story. And we need to be aware of the heritage that we have in Judaism. There is so much to be learnt. Um, I, um, a number of years ago, found this little book in a bookshop. It's called Jewish Prayer and Worship, an Introduction for Christians. He tells a lovely story where he said um, a, a lady and her husband were invited to the synagogue for a celebration. It was, may have been a wedding or something like that. And she was heard to say, oh, isn't it interesting? They use our psalms. <laughs> and perhaps we do that unconsciously. We have forgotten that we have been grafted into the vine and not the other way around. And so I think there is, there is so much that we have to learn from Jewish traditions. And I have to say, from other traditions, there was a um, churches together um, prayer breakfast in uh, Farncombe yesterday morning. And um, I turned up with a few others and we sat down and had our cornflakes and then we were treated to the daily office almost unknown to me. I do have an Anglican prayer book at home, which I've, I've used. Uh, it was John Withers who advised me to get it. He said, if you're doing a, doing a wedding, that's what you need. Um, and, um, but I'm not used to that. But it was an introduction to a different tradition of reading the scriptures and praying. Um, I, uh, I heard somebody discussing the other day between a Baptist and an Anglican and the Anglican said you probably know the scriptures better than us but we have probably a better prayer liturgy than you do and we, we can learn from one another, we can encourage one another and, and really what I want to say today I have a very simple message and you may well say well I know all of this, I'm doing this but it is a simple message, and I think it's this. Read your Bible and pray every day if you want to grow. You will probably remember singing that as a little one. Read your Bible and pray every day. It can't get any more simple than that, yet it is so very difficult very often. I, I want you to be encouraged today, because it would be very easy to feel discouraged because you feel you aren't doing this or you aren't doing that. But this is the encouragement to start somewhere. We at home try to say grace before every meal. It's a start. If you find it difficult to pray, it's 
say grace before the meal. I'm reminded of um, Dimash Shikarian, the um, Armenian who settled in America after um, his family was um, uh, after the tragedies of the Armenian um, uh, genocide back at the beginning of the last century. And um, he recounted how his grandfather always said grace before a meal. But he insisted that he waited until the spirit fell upon him before he started. He said, we often ate an hour after the food was on, <laughs> on the table. Um, I'm not advocating that, but if that's your way, that's fine. But it was a small starting place to pray. And, and actually, that's one of the interesting things about this book, um, and one of the great encouragements with it, is that the Jews have a prayer for just about everything. When you stand up, when you sit down, when you go to the toilet, when you turn the tap on, when you have something to eat, they have a prayer for all of it. And I guess as a youngster, the idea of liturgy, I, I found quite difficult. I, I still find it quite difficult to have a formal set, uh, set of prayers, but I can see the benefit. And certainly as a way of encouraging prayer in every circumstance, then I think our Jewish heritage is very wise and helpful. So we've been grafted into that vine. This story is entirely Jewish. These are two Jewish men going to the temple to worship. They are exceptional in that they are two Jewish men who have discovered the Messiah, their Messiah, and have believed. And as a result of that, he is working through them. And on the way up, they meet this cripple, this man who was uh, unable to walk, and he expects money. They look at him, they look him in the eye. I find that very interesting. Not always good at looking people in the eye. Let them know what you're really thinking. Let them see into your soul as well. But he looks, looks them in the eye, and he said, I'm got any money. You can't have money, but... And in Jesus' name, he heals him. And the man jumps up, walks along, and they all go up to the temple together. One of the fascinating things with Scripture for me is the things it doesn't say. Um, there's lots in this story that it tells us nothing about. And I suspect a lot of the time it's so that we don't make it a law. It's not about doing this and doing that. It's about a relationship and deepening that relationship with our God, working out with him our life. They come into the temple, and people are amazed at what had happened. Uh, there are many people who come to faith as a result, um, and we then find that uh, there is this objection. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees come up to Peter uh, while they were speaking, and they were greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And 
of the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they had a, a religious debate going on. But they were concerned because they saw them taking the people's attention and drawing the people to them. So there were one group who objected, and the next day the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power do you do this? Two different sorts of opposition, different groups of people, but all opposed. And then, of course, Peter answers them and says, well, Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. You had him put to death, but he has risen from death. He is alive and he's at work and he's restoring people's lives. He's returning them to their God. And then, because they'd run out of time, they stuck them in prison. It was very convenient and they could just lock them up. And... Uh, so they were locked up overnight, and the next day, um, these authorities said to them, you're not allowed to speak in Jesus' name. And, and again, this is one of the strange things. They said, they, uh, Peter and John say back, but we're going to anyway, and they release them. Um, and then it says they go back to their people. Who did they go back to? Who was there? Were there one or two? Were there 50, 100? Where were they? Why were they all together? We know nothing about any of that. And then they explained to them what the problem was. And um, they start to pray. I'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. If I could only take one of the letters on my desert island, I'd take Ephesians. Um, I'm not quite at the point where, I think it was uh, David Paulson when asked, what's your favourite book of the Bible? And he said, the one I'm reading. Um, So in Ephesians 6, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on... Um, and it's that little bit about the opposition that I wanted to pick up on. I don't know about you, but when somebody opposes me or upsets me, I tend to look at them. I tend to point the finger at them being the problem. And it is very interesting here that when the believers get together, they say, we have a problem, this is the issue they then turn to scripture, they repeat back to God his promises, they tell him what he has written in the scriptures, 
and then they ask him to help in this situation. They don't ask, them, ask him to shut the high priests up or change their minds or oppose them or depose them. There is, no, there is no opposition against those people. What they ask is that they will be given freedom to preach in Jesus' name. It was about preaching the gospel and sharing their Messiah that was vital and important. Anything we do in the physical, I believe, has a spiritual reaction. So what we do day by day affects our spiritual life. What we do in our spiritual life affects our physical life. I don't think you can separate them out, but I want to make that point that um, how, how we act, what we do, has an effect on our relationship with God, and our relationship with God should have an effect on what we do day by day and how we live. We know that when we pray to God, he hears us. We know that he answers our prayers even before we've uttered them, which is remarkable but slightly worrying. The problem isn't what we pray. The problem is if we don't pray. So I'm encouraged that you've been praying. Uh, read your Bible and pray every day. The encouragement is to pray. Whatever stimulates prayer, whatever encourages it, however you can encourage one another. We don't know how many people were gathered together in this group that prayed, but it could be one or two of you. You could be the church, as it says in the title of the sermon this morning. You may be the two or three that have to pray, but pray. You you need to be ready, you need to be available, and you also need to have a healthy prayer life individually. I, I don't think you get healthy corporate prayer life unless your individual prayer life is healthy. So encourage it. Do whatever you can. If, it, if you can't find 10 minutes, spend 30 seconds. Pray. Pray whenever you can. Use whatever opportunity, whatever prompt. If you see something that's beautiful, praise God for it. If you see something that's unclean and dirty, ask God to sort it out. You use simple, easy, everyday prayer to build your prayer life. And the other side of it that I wanted to pick up on this is their use of Scripture. You can't use Scripture in your prayers unless you are familiar with it. I was going to say, unless you know it, but actually, um, I find it quite difficult to memorise any of this. I, I tend to have to look up, and I can look it up two or three times in a day, because I've once again forgotten exactly what it says. I, I don't see any problem in that at all. Even Paul says, and it says somewhere in Scripture, so he had the same problem at times. Um, 
but I want you to encourage you to, to read God's word. Um, not just read odd verses and snippets, but read it cover to cover. Read it from front to back. Keep on reading it. Use whatever you can to encourage you to read it. Um, Smith Wigglesworth, who was, a, 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 I suppose, a Pentecostal preacher from the mid-Victorian period through to the early uh, 1920s, um, if you've never heard of him or never heard of any of his ministry, look it up online. It's, it's remarkable. Um, but he had four principles to live by. Read God's word. Consume God's word until it consumes you. Believe God's word. Act on God's word. Again, it can be difficult to settle to read your Bible, but if it is, read it in small bits. But if it isn't, read it in big chunks. Make yourself open to it. Um, if you go on to YouTube, you can hear the whole Bible being read. This, again, is part of the uh, Jewish heritage. They listened to the Bible. They did not have a Bible to read from. Only the priests were allowed to read from the Bible, and they weren't allowed to touch it. They had a pointer to point where it was, they'd got to in the Scriptures because it was so precious and so important. Um, I would encourage you to read your Bibles. I, I have lots of um, things that uh, trouble me. One of the things that trouble me is we spend too long reading the Scriptures. Now, I don't mean that we shouldn't be engaging with the Scriptures, but sometimes we need to listen to it. When you come into church, very often as evangelicals, we open our Bibles and say, follow the reading with me. And all I do is read it. I don't listen to it. And sometimes when you listen to it, you will hear something different, some subtlety to it, some, something which encourages you and blesses you that you might not have heard if you just read it. Do read it but listen to it as well. If you haven't listened to it on YouTube, have a look. Deal with big swathes of it. Um, I think it was Tom Watson was saying, read from Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 55 and get the full sweep of what God is doing, how he's doing it, how he's working amongst it. If you don't read the whole swathe in one go, you just get little bits. You don't see how it all unfolds, the role of Eden, the role of the temple, the restoration, uh, how God is going to uh, bring about a resurrection, a new heaven and a new earth, how he's going to uh, give us a new body which, where we will be able to live on this earth and, and live with him in the fullness of what he's given us. So my encouragement to you today is read your Bibles, pray every day. Amen.